أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين And welcome to the Scale of Wisdom podcast brought to you by the Batul Foundation Continuing our topic of the legal bounds The next subsection in Mizan al-Hikmah speaks about the prohibition of transgressing the bounds In the Holy Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says These are Allah's bounds so do not transgress them and whoever transgresses the bounds of Allah, it is they who are the wrongdoers. And of course this is completely logical because the reason for bounds is that we do not transgress them. Even when we set limitations on our children or on our students, the reason for setting those bounds is so that they don't transgress them. And of course in the same way, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sets a bound, that bound is not to be transgressed. And the wisdom behind setting that bound is that what is behind that bound is not good for the person that that bound has been set for. So the reason for us setting bounds for our children or our students is to protect them from something that is either dangerous for them or not good for them. Bounds are not something that we just arbitrarily put on somebody. And in the same way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't just arbitrarily put bounds on us. Those bounds are to protect us at times even from our own selves. The Holy Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said, On the day of resurrection, a ruler will be brought forth who has inflicted one lash less than the punishment prescribed. He will plead, O oh my Lord, I did it out of mercy for your servants. He will be told, Are you trying to be more merciful to them than me? Then he will be ordered into the fire. Another man who has added one lash to the punishment will be brought forth, and he will plead, O oh Allah, I did it to make them stop committing acts of disobedience to you. Then he too will be ordered into the fire. So the bounds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are exact. It is not that we are being more merciful by not carrying out those punishments than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully aware of all of the consequences for the actions. And when we think that we are more merciful than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are actually completely mistaken. And so too, the opposite is the case. We cannot claim that we know the wisdom of those boundaries exactly. So if we think that by carrying out a more severe punishment, it will have a better effect, that is also mistaken. And both of these groups of people will bear the consequences of their actions. Imam al-Baqir is reported to have said, The commander of the faithful salam, had ordered Qambar to execute a man's punishment. Qambar was rough and beat him three more lashes. So Ali forfeited on his behalf by beating Qambar three lashes. So the punishments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are exact. And as you can see here, Imam Ali took out a punishment on Qambar equal to his transgression and by that saved him from being judged unfavorably on the Day of Judgment. The next subsection speaks about executing the legal punishment in the land of the enemy. Imam Ali is reported to have said, I do not execute any legal punishment in the land of the enemy until he leaves it, so that he is not overcome and would join the ranks of the enemy. So here is a wisdom for why legal punishments are not carried out in the lands of the enemy, and that is that people may default because of their fear of illegal punishment to the side of the enemy. And of course, in the modern world, there is no execution of punishments outside of the Islamic lands, and that is out of a respect for the law of each nation state. The next subsection speaks about the role of implementing the penal law in atonement for the sin. The Holy Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said, Whoever commits a sin 
and then bears the punishment meted out for that particular sin, then that shall be his atonement. So here is the crux of the philosophy of legal punishments, and that is that by bearing the punishment in this world, a person doesn't have to bear a more severe punishment in the next. And of course that is a big mercy. It is only when a person doesn't accept the consequences of the next world that they may look at legal punishments as being something barbaric or against the value of human life. So, to understand Islamic legal punishments, we also have to understand the Islamic worldview and understand that system of law within the presuppositions that it has. It is not the case that just because the modern world has a certain amount of presuppositions that those should be the benchmark that all other systems are judged by. Rather, each system has the right to have its own presuppositions. And those presuppositions are not discussed on the level of legal punishment, they are discussed on the level of belief, and are examined for their consistency, their coherency, their explanatory power, and the implications that result from them. The next subsection speaks about the role of implementing the penal law. Imam Ali salam is reported to have said, When Allah punishes a faithful servant in this world, he is too bountiful and too glorious to repunish him for the same sin on the day of resurrection. The next subsection speaks about the prohibition of insulting the one being punished. It is narrated in Tanbih al-Khawatir when the Prophet ﷺ stoned a man for adultery. A man said to his friend, he died on the spot like a dog. So when the Prophet ﷺ was passing with them by the carcass of a dead animal, he told him, he told them to take a bite out of it. They said, O Messenger of Allah, may Allah bless you. How can we bite a carcass? He replied, What you have bitten from your brother is fouler than that. So the enactment of a legal punishment does not push somebody out of the fold of Islam. Rather, their bearing of the legal punishment is something that is honorable, something that restores their honor and restores their place. It is an atonement. And so the same rules that apply for Muslims that haven't committed a crime that deserves a legal punishment apply to them as well. And one of those is backbiting. And as you know, backbiting is likened to eating the flesh of a dead carcass. In the next tradition, Abdul Rahman bin Abi Layla narrated, Once Ali السلام, punished a man who people then began abusing and cursing. So Ali السلام, said, Now this man will not even be questioned with regard to his sin. Meaning that because of the abuse and the curse of the people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expedited that man even from the questioning of his sin. So it is prohibited to curse and abuse somebody who is going through a punishment. The final subsection speaks about those whom penal law should not be implemented. The Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said, There is no punishment for he who admits in committing wrong after being subdued to a calamity. So the issue of admitting and asking for forgiveness for that sin before being caught is one of those things that disperses the penal law. So before a person is caught, if they admit to the crime and they also seek forgiveness for that crime and even give an excuse like they were in a particularly rough situation, then this is one of those things that can support in the reduction of the punishment for that crime from the level of the had meaning from the level of the absolute limit of what that punishment can be, because punishments themselves are graded. And this is also something like we have quite similar in modern law as well. If somebody pleads guilty, then they are given a lower punishment than somebody who pleads innocent and then is found guilty. 
Imam Ali is reported to have said, There is no punishment for he who is compelled or for she who is compelled. So the issue of being forced into committing a sin is something that takes away from the punishment of that sin. Inshallah, in the next episode, we will talk about war, al-harb, wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin.